Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Hi, Anita. Hello, Mel. Blessed day to you. <laughs> and a blessed day to you also. <laughs> I think we should start all greetings like that now. Eat glass. What? <laughs> it's from Shit's Creek. Eat glass. Oh, eat glass. Okay. I just watched <laughs> uh, I just watched a thing of Shit's Creek where they were talking about the parents' reunion, not reunion, anniversary. And they said that. Have a blessed day. I really love that show. It's, it's so funny. Pretty funny. You had a crazy week. Are you glad it's done? Tell us about it. Oh, yes. But it, everything actually went better than I expected. I know I've talked about this before, but I music direct for Michael Feinstein's Great American Songbook Academy program that's a summer intensive every summer. And this year we did it online because thank you, COVID. And it went really well. So we did all the same things. I still worked with my students and did arrangements and they performed and we had really amazing mentors and guest artists work with them so it was awesome and i gotta do it all while wearing pajamas yes that is one thing you can thank coronavirus for is ubiquitous pajamas so anita i posted a video that i made for that on our facebook page and like only five people have seen it i it's don't think anybody cares so but. funny mel showed it to me and i've watched i'm probably the person who has watched it the most but it's lynn who was on one of our episodes 
earlier, one of the first people we interviewed, in fact, she's on it, and it's um, Mel and Lynn, and it's a wonderful song, and it's hilarious. So you guys should go check it out, because it's really funny, and it's two widows. Support the widows, right? Support the widows, and also, those of you who have listened to us for several episodes, at least, know about our international contest that was a big fail that we still have not gotten any emails about. And that would have been for Anita playing the clarinet. Well, now you can hear me play piano without having the consequence of Anita playing the clarinet. No offense, Anita. Bah, whatever. Um, I kind of think that you play the piano kind of good. That's what I thought. I was like, wow. Maybe good job. it's all fake, though. Is it? It's not. I know it's not. Mel, do you actually work for the CIA? And your piano playing is just a front, and you're an international spy. Yep. How did you guess? <laughs> I have a sense for these things. It's because you're a medical professional. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Actually, that does come into play because whenever I see a new patient, I always ask them what they do for a job. And when they pause for too long, I always think, oh, they're in the CIA, which is like our like secret spy people i'm sure everybody knows what the cia is but maybe they don't or a drug lord i never go there i always think cia never thought like drug cartel kingpin (laughs) so (laughs) but mel did you know that's our new family motto here speaking of drug cartels we love drugs that's right yes yeah didn't you guys all start taking antidepressants What's the situation? So it has been just a crazy week. Very emotional. Very hard. I don't know. I feel like my kids have been inhabited by Satan. They are like attacking each other and fighting with each other. And just like I am in over my head, you guys. <laughs> oh, Anyway, my kids therapist has been kind of wanting me to get them taking some drugs some mood he calls it mood stabilizing medication and i've been very hesitant to do that but this week we kind of had to come to jesus so to speak so i went to the pharmacy and we got drugs for everybody drugs for everybody so we're gonna see how that goes hopefully it will help with some of the difficulties we're facing Yeah, that was my week. We love drugs. We love drugs. So that's going to be awkward if my, like, daughter ever says that to her school counselor. (laughs) You know? My family's motto is, we love drugs. It goes against the D.A.R.E. program. Is that still around, or is that just, like, in the 90s? No, it's still around, except for COVID. Probably they don't care about it anymore. You guys, we have got an amazing conversation going on. In the Widow Wives Club right now, we're going to be having, this is totally fake. I mean, don't like get all excited yet. Sort of fake. We're going to have an international race. Everybody's coming to Mel's house. I didn't tell you that yet, Mel, but we're coming to your house. Oh, And we're okay. going to have a race. <laughs> and there's going to be two runners. And then there's going to be pom-poms and posters, cheese, bread, uh, I think wine, champagne, Cake? I don't know. What else, Mel? Is that what Karen's bringing from Canada? Can't, Karen's running, but I think... I mean, I can bring keto treats. You can bring what? Karen has a wine store. I know. 
So if you want to get in on this uh, amazing conversation, we could use some cornhole maybe. You guys need to visit the Widow Wives Club. We're growing in members every day. Stupid, but cool. Jennifer Steele can make the cake. Uh Uh-huh. David's bringing the bread. Liz is bringing posters and champagne, I think. I can't even remember. Brittany's making pom-poms. Man, we have a multifaceted group. I know. I love it. I know. We're looking for an American cheesemonger, though. So, so if you happen to know one. Yeah. Somebody find us a cheesemonger or a cheese artisan. Yes. Those are two different things. So if you would like to join in on all the fun, join our Widow Wives Facebook group. Now that's different from our public Widow We Do Now Facebook page. This one is just for the widows. But we have lots of fun on our regular one as well. Thanks for contributing also to our Wednesday Widow Wins, even when we forget it's Wednesday and we do it on Thursday. (laughs) Just pretend. Yep. (laughs) That was my fault because I was busy. Maybe it was still Wednesday in Australia. No, other way. Oh, no. Nope. That's backwards. We'll just call in a widow brain. Yeah, for sure. You guys all understand. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe and share our podcast. Please, please, please help us to reach more people. Yeah. Grief is stupid. Grief is stupid. I'm Anita. (laughs) Okay. I'm Mel. We're a couple young widows. (laughs) We're just a couple young widows trying to figure out what we do now. now. Yes. You just make it so it's good. Listen, grieving is hard. Being widowed is hard. And actually, just being a human is hard. Everybody has stuff. BetterHelp.com is making it easier than ever to get the help that you need. BetterHelp gives you secure access to licensed counselors to help you cope with just being on this planet. Just fill out a quick questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you with a therapist that suits your needs. Our listeners get 10% off their first month by using the link BetterHelp.com WWDN. That's BetterHelp as in Help Me dot com slash WWDN. Go get yourself some therapy. Mel, I'm going to introduce our guest now. Are you ready to hear who she is? Yes, go. Okay. So this person is named Shauna Morrissey. And Shauna Morrissey happens to be my sister. So, hi, Shauna. Hello. Also, Shauna is a certified life coach. And so I thought it would be cool to have her come on and talk us through a little bit about what life coaches are and what they do and how it might be helpful for people going through grief. So do you know what a life coach is, Mel? Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But the Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But the Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms.
This ad was paid for by Rockhouse Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Um, I've heard about them, but I kind of don't really know what they are. Yeah. Okay. So in all honesty, the first time I heard the term life coach, I did a huge eye roll because I feel like life coach, same as health coach is a term that's so vague that it means nothing. Like what, what do you mean you coach lives? Like what that doesn't even make any sense right anyway so it has turned out to be um a a helpful tool and i wanted to share more of it with you guys or let her does that sound good i'm excited yeah i'd love to learn about what it is so shauna what say you to my eye roll well first of all i feel like this i'll answer your question in a minute anita (laughs) well i wanted to say i feel like um this podcast was my idea because I said, I think you should do a podcast. And she was like, really? Because I have a friend who says the same thing. And I said, that friend is really smart because she agrees with me. <laughs> That's true. I wanted to do it. And I talked to Anita about it. And she was like, Ugh. and then months went by. And then she came back to me with a new perspective. Tell us why. I was um, just trying to figure out, I was like, well, what, what do I do with this? You know, there's like this point where you try and make meaning and you try and like do something with it. And so I was talking to Shauna about it and she's like, well, I think you need to make a podcast. And I was like, that's so weird because Mel said that too. And she was like, well, Mel's right. So that's how that, that's how this all came about. Thank you for validating me. You're welcome. I'm good at that. Except for not when I'm my coaching. You could ask Anita. <laughs> Before we actually get into the, the, meat in the bones of this please tell us some embarrassing stories go at least one well where do i even start like anita's whole life is hilarious that is what is so great about her and that um so many people love about her is that she's kind of a a crazy lady like almost everything she does is crazy (laughs) but a wild child but i'll tell you when um we were growing up we weren't sure if anita was going to make it in the world because (laughs) she she just had some interesting ways of being that we didn't know if that would translate into a functional adult. (laughs) I mean, to the point we used to share bedrooms and every six months we would switch bedrooms so that one person could have their own and the others could share. And when it was a turn for anyone to share with Anita, they threw such a fit that finally Anita just moved into the family room and we had like these food storage buckets and she made herself walls with the food storage buckets because she felt like that was a place where she could belong <laughs> and nobody would bother. I had an area. I called it my area. She had an area in the basement. And I didn't choose to move out. Kayleen kicked me out. <laughs> I would have kicked you out too. My other sister in all, kicked in all me out. Honesty. You just have to. I'm not, I'm not arguing. I think I should have been kicked out. But Yeah, but we all talk about the trauma that we have from Anita having an area in the basement. So then we couldn't even be in the basement without Anita's area. The reason that she was kicked out of the bedrooms was then moved to the area. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so it's like a wonder that we survived our childhood. <laughs> but. Um, and that I'm a functional human adult. Are you, though? No, she's not just functional, but she's incredible. Comparatively I- speaking, yes. Yes, I am, Mel. You are a medical professional. Yeah. she like went to school and she has a doctorate degree. I don't know if your listeners know that you have a doctorate degree. Like 
Oh, I bet they don't know that you are a professional, a medical professional. Yes, we've said that before. I know, I'm being facetious. Oh, okay. I was like, now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you even listen to the podcast, Mel? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> I knew she was a medical professional from your podcast, but I didn't know if you guys were, you know, getting some leverage out of her, like, doctorate. <laughs> no, we have not really said the word just the words doctorate yet so well I'm, i'll push that i only have a master's so i ew. am for debt i know what is your master's you're the worst <laughs> jazz studies oh my goodness that's so, so cool <laughs> i know it's like such a not helpful degree but it doesn't matter for my bachelor's my bachelor's is in on in um jazz composition and my math master's is in jazz studies which is just performance and comp Shauna has a master's degree too. I also have a master's degree and it's not in life coaching. <laughs> what is it in? My master's degree is in history. Wow. And not just history. Well, the environmental, environmental history. History of science. Yeah. Which nobody knows what that even is. Wow. That, I didn't know that was a thing. That's so cool. I mean, a, a program. I know it's a thing. It totally is. But um, Okay, Shauna, answer the question. Okay, so the first thing I want you to understand is that life coaching is not a regulated industry. So in other words, there's no such thing as accreditation in the life coaching world. And accreditation is what makes things like a little bit more official in occupations or in schools that are like regulated by, you know, some kind of a third party, you know, that maybe doesn't even stand to gain anything or benefit anything, you know, financial. So when someone says they're a certified life coach, it means they went to some sort of training and they completed the requirements. Um that specific program. So the program I went through was called, um, or the program I went through is at the Life Coach School. And in that program, certification is pretty involved. It takes place over a year. And when you've completed the requirements, the certified coaches are eligible for some pretty awesome ongoing support and some continued education. But the process is actually really rigorous. Um, like I said earlier, I have a master's degree and life coach training was at least as challenging as um, that program, which is kind of interesting because it wasn't what I was expecting, but um, the skills, it was, it was totally worth it because like the skills and the tools that I learned um, have really made my life better. So I do my own self-coaching practice and I also work with a coach um, regularly and I've totally seen those tools like help me in my own life. And they've totally helped me in, in my coaching practice where I, I usually work with women who really want to give their children the important gift of a healthy, thriving mother. So I work with a lot of moms. Um, so just first of all, I just want you to understand that there's no third body that accredits life coaches. There's no accreditation in the life coach industry. And so you don't even need any training at all to be a life coach. Someone can just say, I'm a coach, and they can start coaching people, and that's not against the law. So I'm personally glad that I got some training because I wouldn't even know where to start without the training. But um, because there is no regulation in the life coaching world, that's why I think it gets a bad rap sometimes. And I think that's why Anita has, you know, or she had some reservations about it. Because you really just don't know what you're going to get when you hear the term life coach. So are there different kinds of life coaches? Okay, so like if you're considering working with a life coach, I totally recommend that you decide what kind of coach you want to work with. So many life coaches do what I would call accountability coaching. And that's really what most programs teach you how to do. So like you'd come to a life coach because you wanted to lose weight or maybe you like stop drinking or manage your calendar and your schedule. And so when it comes right down to it, what the life coach does is help you to develop an eating plan or an exercise plan or maybe like a detailed schedule. 
And then you would report to them and they would hold you accountable to that plan. So that can be a very effective um, way to help you to overcome some things you're struggling with or to accomplish some big goals. But like if accountability is the end of, of the coaching, then I feel like there's a big piece missing because you aren't really getting to the cause of the problem, like whatever that problem is. And so the school I went to, the life coach school, they have kind of a different philosophy called causal coaching, where we really seek to understand um, the root cause of the problem. So if you think about like somebody who has a broken ankle, the doctor might give them some pain medicine, you know, to deal with the pain. Um, but who knows if the ankle would heal properly. But if the doctor were to like take some x-rays and look at the ankle, maybe even set the ankle, which would probably be more painful right at first than just giving you pain medication and just seeing what happened, um, then the doctor would know, okay, we need to set that ankle um, because the x-rays would show that the ankle needed to be set. And then the treatment will get right to the cause of the pain, you know, the broken bone. So causal coaching is really an effort to get to the root cause of emotional pain and to process it and work through it. And the coaches that were trained at the school I was trained at, they have some really effective tools to do this. I have a question. So if you were to recommend a life coach for me or a style for me, what would, what would you recommend? So it totally depends on what, like what you were wanting that life coach for. Is this, you know, to deal with the grief that you're experiencing or is it because you want to set some big goal or is it because you want to lose weight or, you know, hold you accountable to your schedule? Like, what is it you're wanting? That makes all the difference in the world. Let's say that I want a recommendation for moving through loss. So dealing with the grief. Yeah. So I would totally recommend a coach, you know, from the life coach school. And there are many different, like, um, there's many different coaches who coach in different areas. Of, and any of the coaches can coach in, on any area. That's one thing that's really great. We coach from something um, called the model, and that model is used to solve any problem or just to gain some awareness over where that problem is coming from and, and understand you know, the thoughts and emotions involved. And so I would definitely recommend that you would find a coach from the Life Coach School. So one question that I have is I, I mean, I'm 38. I don't have kids. I feel like a lot of people that are widows that are my age do have kids. And so I feel like I maybe don't fit in, in those groups sometimes, you know, like a widowed mom. I'm just like a single person that's widowed and I'm tired. You're not um, tired. Can, yeah. <laughs> Is there somebody that has like specific training that can relate with me? So absolutely. Everybody receives the same kind of training. Like we have the same base training and the training we receive is used to help every person in every kind of problem. It okay, really cool. is. And there are people that have different niches and I'm not a hundred percent certain if there is a grief niche, you know, from losing a spouse and not having any children. I know that Krista St. Germain works with widowed moms and um, I assume that there is because there are many different coaches. But you don't necessarily need to work with a coach in that very specific niche to get some leverage over, you know, what's happening with your grief process. So it's like therapy, like a therapist doesn't necessarily have to be in my same situation or have my same life problems to help me, right? So you're the same kind of thing? Yeah, it's similar. Sense? Yeah, it's absolutely similar um, in that way to therapy. Life coaching is not therapy, though. Okay. How is it different? So their life coaching and therapy are like two different animals. They, there are amazing benefits to both and there's appropriate situations for each, but um, they're not the same. And I don't see them as competing at all. 
they really complement each other and there's some definitely some overlap. Um, I have, I've been to several therapists attempting to work through my grief after Jason died. So I'm speaking from my own experience and that's really the only place that I can speak from. But in my own experience, therapy kind of gives you a safe place to sort through and like tell your story over and over again and really process it and come to terms with the reality of it. I remember, um, and maybe Anita will remember this too, but when Jason died and she called, she called me that night and she said, um, I totally remember the words. She said, Jason died tonight. And my response to her was no way. Do you remember that? Yes. And I think, I think you laughed at me. I I I thought I was joking. I thought she was joking. And, and looking back, like that's doesn't even make any sense to joke about something like that. But I was having a hard time coming to terms with the fact that it had really happened. Like even after seeing Jason at the viewing, I really struggled to process and accept that it was real, that it had happened. And I feel like I bounced back and forth between like just numbness and just really intense emotion. And that's coming from me. Like I'm a grief civilian, but that was my experience with grief. And, and I, I understood it intellectually, but I didn't really believe it was real. And so my experience with a therapist was that, that telling my story and talking through it really kind of helped me to um, embrace that it was reality, like come to just accept it. Um, I think therapy really helps people who have had ex- have, like traumatic things happen in their lives to really get back to kind of a baseline of functioning where they can kind of start to do things on their own again, like to-do lists and, and maybe going back to work. Um, I know that I came to a point in my grief process where I felt really frustrated though. And I was like, what am I supposed to do now? Like what next? How do I move forward? And I specifically remember saying those words, like I need some tools. Like I understood that I needed some tools to help me manage my thoughts and my emotions that would help me move forward. And that's what I found when I hired my first life coach. So um, the kind of life coaching that I do is, is more a focus on the present and the future. We do some work on the past, but only really on how our clients, how my clients are thinking about the past, because it's the way that you're thinking about the past that affects you today. And so there's so many different ways you could think. Um, there's so many different ways you could choose to think about the past. And a life coach really helps you to refocus the past in a way that is useful to you as you move forward. And I think it's especially useful in situations where there's been a loss because people are probably constantly like telling you how strong you are. I know as I've talked to Anita, she says that she, you know, people are always telling her how strong she is, but that she doesn't really feel strong and she doesn't really know, you know, what comes next, but she really sees, you know, some potential and hopes that there's something more in her life. So I feel like as life coaches, we really don't talk so much about the past events um, we don't really spend a lot of time there, but we really more focus on the present and the future and really helping you create the life that you want. So life coaching, in my experience, it really provides tools for you to manage your thoughts and your emotions and help you take your life to the next level. It's not really about, you know, diagnosing problems. It's really more about working with a, you know, mostly normal, healthy, functioning mind. And, and it's really not so much telling your story over and over again. Therapy for me was like hearing someone tell my story over and over again, like they were trained in the questions to ask and really were able to help me to find some perspective and healing and really come to accept that it had happened. But coaching was more someone helping me to leverage my thoughts and my emotions to move forward. And I don't mean like to move on because I, I don't, I don't like that terminology, but to really just move forward. So I think like coaching and therapy can both be very useful. 
And I've worked with clients who've done both um, coaching and therapy. I've worked with clients who've done therapy in the past. And I've even worked with some that are doing therapy right now. So there's some overlap between coaching and therapy, but they definitely are not the same thing. So Shauna, when you have a potential client contact you, what do you tell them as far as what a life coach can do for them? How do you, how do you explain what your services are? That makes it sound bad if you say services. services. What are your services? Your services. Well, what's interesting about that is I have not had anybody contact me that was not um, already very familiar. I've yeah. had nobody contact me. I have nobody to help. Yeah. I, I, I have never actually had to try and, and uh, sell it to anybody because people that contact me already know the value of it. They've, oh. they've been familiar with it um, in one form or another and really have just come to me because of my specialty in working with moms. Um, I see. And so they know what it will do for them. And really what, what is so interesting and it's almost counterintuitive what it does is that it, it helps us to recognize that our thoughts create our feelings and our feelings fuel our actions, but that our thoughts are optional. And so the interesting thing is I start to work with women is that they think that because thoughts are optional and our thoughts are creating our feelings is that they should always choose a thought that makes them feel good. And, and actually it's so interesting that you bring that up because it's so relevant to grief. I feel like it's so relevant to grief because there is something in the back of our mind somewhere that is telling us, or it's an expectation that we have that we're supposed to be happy all of the time. That negative emotion is somehow a problem. Like there's something wrong with it. So when you say that people already know um, the people who contact you already kind of know what a life coach does. The life coaching that you're talking about is the same life coaching that um, people may have heard about in the popular podcast right now. What is it? Better than happy? Jody Moore's yes. podcast. Yes. And then yes. what? What's the one that Brooke Castillo does? I'm the Life Coach School podcast. Okay, and then and you mentioned Krista Saint Germain in which some listeners over with, and she does life specifically widowed parents. So it's the same idea as what they, they do, right? Yes. In fact, I, so I went to the school, the Brooke Castillo's life coach school. That's her podcast is a life coach school podcast. That's the school that I attended. And so that is the coaching I've been trained in. Um, and actually Krista St. Germain and Jody Moore also have that same certification from that same school. Absolutely. So oftentimes you're exactly right. Like people will listen to those podcasts and, and, Neither one of them, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, do um, individual coaching anymore. And so people will look for a coach maybe in what they're, what they're looking for and the, the area that they're looking for help in. And so generally, I just work with moms. Okay. So if you were to, so now we've kind of introduced our listeners to what a life coach in general does. What do you think a life coach can do? For people in our situation? How do you think a life coach can be helpful for somebody going through grief? What takeaways would you give us? You know, this is something that obviously you can spend a long time. You can spend a whole podcast just on this topic, but what's something that you think that you could kind of give us some nuggets of wisdom to take home with us? Yeah, totally. So grief really, I think it's, I think it's useful to really define what grief is. I think grief is the thoughts and the feelings that are associated with a loss, and it can be any loss. So I think it's really useful to understand and really just choose to believe that none of the theories out there about grief are universal. I know I've heard you guys talk about the 
um, about how you feel about some of the different theories of loss. I think it's just really useful to know that none of that is universal. There are tons of options to how humans can respond to grief. And what we really want to do when we're responding to grief is just do it consciously and intentionally and to proceed with some awareness. It kind of seems like in our society, we don't really know what to do with grief, um, especially in this day and age. Like years ago, if a woman's husband died, she would dress all in black for like a year. And it was a very visible sign that she was grieving. It was really kind of an honored process. And today we don't really honor the grieving process in the same way. Like we have ceremonies that we go through and there's a lot of reverence for death. But after that, we have no societal way of honoring that ongoing process of grief. And really as a society, we have a short attention span. Like when someone dies, those who are closest to that person um, or those who weren't closest to that person, they move on pretty quickly, like after the funeral. And those closer to the situation, you know, it takes a while for them to move forward and it can be challenging for them to move forward without some tools. So the truth is in our society, we really just don't know what to do with grief. So in my own personal experience with grief, and I know we all have our own, you know, process and our own experience, but in mine, I think that the tendency we have when we don't know what to do with grief is just to kind of stuff it. Um, I know I spent six months trying to resist my grief and trying to just push it away and, and maybe just distract myself from it. But something I learned from one of my coaches is that grief is patient. It will wait for you. And I love that quote. I believe it came from John Edwards, and it was something he said about the loss of his son. But it really struck a chord with me, and I, I found it to be true. Like, feelings buried alive, they just don't, they don't go anywhere. They never die. And grief that we resist or we avoid or we distract ourselves from, it will just wait until we're willing to experience it. So I started to see that, like, I couldn't put off grieving you know, really experiencing the feelings and that the feelings were going to wait for me. So if I didn't deal with them, they'd be waiting for me next year or, you know, in 10 years. And since I started to see that was the case, I decided like that it was in my best interest to really process them and, and ultimately find a way to integrate them into my life. So um, to your question, the main tool of Life Coach School is called the self-coaching model. And we, we talk about it as like a tool that can solve any problem. And it really does. Like I won't go into a depth right now with it right now. But what I want to say is that feelings are at the center of the model. And they're an incredibly powerful force in our life. They're the reason we do everything we do. And all of our actions or our inactions or our reactions, they're all fueled by feelings. And beyond that, anything that we're seeking, like anything we want to have or we want to experience or we want to accomplish, we want those things because of how we think we're going to feel when we have those things or we become those things or we experience those things. So we're really chasing feelings and avoiding feelings all of the time. And when we start to get really clear on what we're feeling and why, um, then we can start to generate the feelings we want to feel on purpose. And our life at that point has like, a whole new dimension. So feelings are a really big deal. And grief, um, I would classify that as a feeling or, or maybe just a family of feelings. All of our feelings are vibrations in our body that are just created by the thoughts that we think. So our thoughts create our feelings every time. And our feelings are happening in our body, not in our brain. And I think that's a really important distinction. Thoughts happen in the brain but feelings are something we experience in our body. They're vibrations. And they're really subtle sometimes. Like, like sometimes it's really hard to know what we're feeling, even though we're chasing those feelings and, and we're trying to avoid feelings. 
sometimes it's hard for us to know what those feelings are. So um, they, the feelings drive everything we do, our actions, our inactions, our reactions, and they really determine how we show up for our lives. So Shauna, when I first learned about the association between our thoughts creating our feelings and how thoughts we get to choose thoughts, my first reaction was that I felt like a failure if I chose negative thoughts or anytime I felt sad that it was a failure because I hadn't chosen to think happy thoughts. Do you want to address that? Yeah, I totally do. And, and I think this comes from um, some, something that happens a lot of times, like when I'm working with clients, is when they make that association, when they realize their thoughts create their feelings, then they feel like they should be choosing happy thoughts that create happiness all of the time. And I think that comes from maybe someplace in our, maybe in, even just in my history, in my past, I remember people saying things like, you know, um, happiness is a choice. And because of that, I think I thought maybe that it was a choice that I should always make. And I, I feel like, or I think that that comes from this idea in society that we should always be happy, or at least most of the time that we should be happy. And I think that's an expectation that in general we have, especially in the Western world. And maybe we look at something like social media and we look at people's, we scroll through Facebook or Instagram and we see just the happy things that are posted there. And we think everybody else has figured it out except for me. Like I don't, I don't know how to be happy all of the time. And it re- I think that kind of a thought process that we should be happy most of the time really holds us back. The truth is that life is a 50-50 experience. It's a balanced experience of positive and negative emotion. This is more of an Eastern idea. This is something that um, Eastern philosophy and Eastern religion really already um, understood that you know, in order to understand what the left hand is, you have to have a reference of a right hand. In order to even understand what those positive emotions feel like, we need to have some contrast in our experience. And so there really wouldn't be any positive emotion without that experience of negative emotion. Like it really is all part of one great whole. We want to experience some negative emotion in our life. It's something that we really actually want. And so to your question, um, it isn't always useful for us to choose thoughts that create positive emotion for us, especially when there are situations happening in the world that we don't want to think a positive thought about. When your spouse dies, you probably don't want to think that's no big deal, or I'm just fine with it, or he's in heaven, so it doesn't matter. Like Those thoughts that might bring you to some more um, neutral or positive emotion, they really aren't in harmony with who you want to be, is my guess. When we've talked about that, I've found that idea so, so liberating because there are times where I'm feeling grief and there is pressure for, and people expect it. They think it's best if they're like, oh, she's looking on the sunny side. She's finding the silver lining. And sometimes, yes, I find that to be very helpful to do that. But sometimes, dang it, I don't want to. I want to feel sad because what has happened is sad. So um, not trying to always push away the feelings of sadness and grief, 
but knowing that it's okay and it's normal and it's not a failure to choose thoughts that lead to those feelings. I would even go so far as to saying it's, it's not just not a failure, but it's, that's exactly what we want is that full experience of life with some positive and some negative. Like, I think we look at our negative emotion, like there's actually something wrong with it. Like we have people in the hospital right now, they're sick, like they have COVID or they have something wrong with them. And we want to treat that so that they're better. So they're physically better. I think sometimes we look at our negative emotion or our grief in the same way where we look at it like this is something wrong that needs to be solved instead of this is just the human experience and it needs to be allowed. I love how you put it because actually when you said that and like Anita said, it's liberating. I also feel I also feel like relieved when I hear that. It's like, oh, yeah, 50-50. Well, that's way more doable than well, you're supposed to be happy, of course, 100% of the time. That's, like, not even manageable. But even something like, well, you should be happy, like, 90% of the time. And so that way you have 10%. Like, I think having it an even 50 helps me feel better that it's okay to feel what I feel. Even though intellectually I know that it's okay to feel what I feel, that just helps kind of support that. Um, and also probably speeds up the healing process as well, right? Like you were saying, like, grief is patient, so it's going to be there if you're resisting it or not. It's, it's totally going to wait. <laughs> it will wait for you, for sure. One thing that I thought of when, when you were saying that is that um, just in the process, when we're talking about the process of grief, I think sometimes when we hear that it's a process or even when we're in the middle of it, we think that it is some linear thing where there's steps and then it's going to just end. We're going to be done with it, right? We think it's a process where there is an end, there's an end goal. And I don't think it works that way. And I think thinking about it that way isn't really useful. It, it gives us this expectation that we're going someplace and there are certain thoughts and feelings that cannot come there with us. Like when you get to the place where you're done grieving, you're suddenly going to be okay that your husband passed away, that, that you'll just be okay with that. And I don't think, it, I don't think that's useful. I think that the truth is, that you can get all the way to some post-traumatic growth. You can get to a, a place where you have, you know, an increased sense of purpose and of satisfaction and still be sad that your spouse passed away, still wish that had not happened. And so I don't think the grieving process is us going to a place where we have all this positive emotion about, um, or even just positive thoughts about what happened. And I, I think as we look at the grief process, we have to recognize that, that we can totally thrive. We can totally move through it and we can move to a place where, you know, where we can get the things done on our to-do list, where we can go to work, where we're experiencing happiness, even 50% of the time, which I think maybe at the beginning of grief is something that we wonder if is possible. Is that, was that the case with you? If you wondered if you, did you wonder if you would ever be happy again? Yeah. And actually when Anita first contacted me and we were talking, she's like, Please just tell me that, like, I will be okay. But I was in the type of mindset where I was like, it super sucks. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'll just be here for you. And she was like, but I just want it to be okay. Um, but I think, yeah, it's like, especially initially after something traumatic happens, you're just, like, so shaken up. You're so confused. You're vacillating between, like, that did not happen. That's not real. And, like, wait, this is real. Like you were talking about earlier, Shauna. And... 
you're just your brain is just so scrambled that you just want to feel better and you just want it to stop and you don't want to process you're tired processing makes us tired so definitely it's like and as the grief process goes on then you have to sit with these things and then you're like okay this is going to be something that's going to be with me my whole life. Yeah, I was going to speak to that because I also don't want people to think that that it's like this this horrible thing forever either. What I'm what I'm trying to um, maybe open up is the possibility that we can have both the negative emotion that that is associated with the loss, have that grief, and still move on and thrive and have a happy life. And I shouldn't have said move on, move forward and thrive. Right. And experience a lot of happiness. And one thing that I wanted to say too, when you were talking about being exhausted, is that it is exhausting um, work. Grief can be exhausting work. But there's two things that I um, would speak to there. And the first is that there's something called the dual process of grief. What it says is it's actually really healthy to take a break, uh, a break from all of the work that grieving is. So grieving is like mental and emotional work. And it's not something that is sustainable long-term. Like you can't just grieve endlessly. And so it's really useful to take a break from grieving. And, and so to find some activities that help you to rest, whether it's watching Netflix or for Anita, it's exercise and running. And for you, it's probably- And, watch, and watching Netflix. And watching Netflix. Both. <laughs> and for you, Mel, it's probably maybe being creative and creating some music. I don't know. There are different things that we can do that really give us a break from the process of grieving, knowing full well that we're going to come back to that work again. So it's almost like oscillating back and forth between, you know, taking a break and working on the grief process, really um, being part of that grieving experience. So like in coaching, we generally, um, we have something that we, a tool that we talk about, which is called buffering. And the tool is actually working to eliminate buffering from your life. And buffering is anything you do in response to an urge, but it's also often used for us to escape feeling an emotion we don't want to feel. So an urge, like punching somebody that could be the urge. Yeah. You could totally could buffer by, you know, violence. People do it. You could buffer by like, i I personally like to eat gummy bears. Like I like to buffer by eating my feelings. <laughs> people do all kinds of things to buffer. You know, they eat, they drink, they overwork. Um, they may overexercise. They may use pornography. They may use drugs. There's a lot of different things that people use to numb their feelings. And in general, in, in coaching, um, we try and work through our thoughts and our feelings in healthy ways that don't have those negative back-end consequences. What's so interesting about grieving is that that dual process of grief almost gives you permission to use something to what we would call buffer, but really to, to take a break. And so what you want to make sure is those things that you're using to take a break don't have negative back-end consequences. Like you could choose to garden or you could choose you know, to bake or you could choose to um, practice your piano or exercise if it's not causing you... Um, some negative back-end consequences, like you're not getting stress fractures in your foot because you're running 100 miles a week. You know what I'm saying? So, Like responsible management. Yeah, responsible management. Really, it's just, I, I would call it, um, what is the word that I would call it? So just coping mechanisms. Some coping mechanisms that are healthy and that really give you an opportunity to just take a break. Now, on the other side, though, when we're talking about grieving, it's so important that we do address the grief, which means we're willing to experience it. 
We're not pushing it away. We're not resisting it. We're not pretending it didn't happen. And I think when we recognize that life is 50-50, that there's nothing wrong with those emotions, that they're totally natural and normal and even good because they're part of the human experience. They're part of the contrast. Um, then we're not afraid of them and we can experience them when they come and, and drop out of our thoughts about what's happening and into our bodies and really process those emotions. Yeah. What does that look like? Can you tell us a little bit about it? One of the coaches that works for the life coach school talks about processing emotion and she used to be a kindergarten teacher. So I love the way that she talked about it because she remembered teaching um, children like if they were on fire to stop, drop, and roll. Do you guys remember learning that? Like you stop, drop, and roll. For sure. Sure. I know. It's like one of the most important things you learn in kindergarten. But yes. And it's very fun. So she talks about processing emotions like that stop, drop, and roll process. So when you recognize that you're experiencing an emotion, experiencing an emotion, when you recognize and you feel that grief coming on, it's an invitation for you to stop. So when she says stop, it means to stop what you're thinking. So not continue to ruminate or to that thought process, but to kind of calm your mind and then to drop into your body. So instead of thinking, still being in your head, you actually, you bring your awareness into your body. And then in, instead of roll, you're going to breathe and you're going to feel. And so taking deep breaths and really figuring out where that emotion is centered in your body. Like, is it centered in your heart? Is it centered, you know, more in your stomach? Where is that emotion radiating from? And then what does it feel like? For me, grief was almost like a feeling of um, fast moving kind of jittery energy radiating from my heart out to my limbs. And it was heavy and it was dark. And, and I think each of us have maybe a different experience and maybe we experience grief differently at different times, you know, with different thought processes that we're going through. But, but if we can stop what we're thinking, drop into our body and really sit with that emotion, feel what it feels like. Where is it coming from? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it heavy? Is it light? Is it dark? Um, I think that really helps that emotion to process through um, all the way to the end. And if it doesn't process through to the end, oftentimes it will, like we talked about earlier, it will wait until we're willing to really validate that that is what is happening in our experience right then. So sometimes when I'm feeling grief, I'm not in a position to stop, drop and roll. So for instance, like if your kids are yelling at you, there's times where you can't just stop what you're doing and like sit with it. Like, is there a way to like, push pause and be like, I need to get myself into a place where I can just explore this a little bit. Like for instance, I feel grief a lot when I'm doing parenting duties. Right. And I, and I have to keep doing those things. I can't just like stop driving the car. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I have to finish what I'm doing. Is there a way to like push pause? That's a good question. It's such a good question. So, um, I just want to reiterate that when we say stop, it doesn't mean stop what you're doing. It means stop the thoughts in your head and yeah. drop into your body. So first okay. of all, that's, that's what I would say is that it doesn't mean you need to stop what you're doing. And I think that okay. a lot of people, especially parents, especially moms, um, have this experience where they feel like I can't really grieve 
when the grief comes on because I'm afraid that I'll just like get sucked into this dark place where I can't function, like where I can't take care of my kids or I can't, you know, I can't do the things that need to happen. And so I think what is happening there is that you haven't actually experienced processing an emotion that really is resisting and pushing the emotion away. Um, at least in my experience, because, um, we haven't really experienced what it's like to let an emotion be with us and just to carry on with our life. What, what really happens is we're afraid to experience it because we're afraid of what will happen if we let ourselves experience it right then. And so we're actually resisting it and resisting an emotion is actually really effortful. It takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of energy and it is exhausting. So the process of trying not to feel and trying to, um, avoid the feeling for at least for that time. It just ends up being more work. Yeah, I'm saying you're creating more work for yourself trying to push the pause button and not just let that feeling be with you. Now, I'm not saying that right then that you um, necessarily feel like it's a time you want to grieve. And, and maybe my advice to you in that situation would be to make an appointment with yourself. Like, I'm going to go cry in the shower later. Or I'm going to go mm-hmm. cry in the closet later. Yes. Or I just yeah. need some, some time to be alone to really process what I'm feeling. But even yeah. still, what, it, what emotion you're experiencing rather than um, just say to yourself, I can't experience this right now. This is a problem. Recognize that that isn't a problem and that it can be there with you and you can still move forward with your life. So rather than resist it, which ends up being so much more work, just be willing to have that emotion with you. I, I think especially when people ask that question, it's because they don't really know what it feels like to be with an emotion. Well, it's so uncomfortable. Yes. I do think that it's uncomfortable, but I think it's more uncomfortable or it's less uncomfortable than we think it is because we're always resisting it. We think there's something wrong when we have a negative emotion. Something's gone wrong instead of saying, no, this is part of the human experience and just allowing it to be there with us rather than resisting it all. So when we're resisting it, it's like, it's like a beach ball that we're pushing under the water because we want it to be gone. And if we're pushing it under the water, we have to have our hand on it all of the time. Like we can't let go of it. So our hand is on it. So that's draining some of our, some of our focus, some of our energy. And we also have to be pushing. And the more we push it down, the more that resistance pushes up against us. So it's taking more and more and more energy. And if we slip off of it at all, it's going to just fly up into the air, right? But if we can just recognize this beach ball, this emotion, this grief isn't a problem and just let it sit there on the surface of the water, we don't have to hold it. We don't have to push it. We can just embrace that it's there. The effort involved in that is so much less than the effort involved in thinking it's a problem and needing it not to be there. That makes sense. But what about how can like when you have four asking you questions, you can't be like, what does this feel like? Where is it in my body? What is this sensation? Do you know what I'm saying? Identify it. What is it? I feel like I can never do because I never have a time where I just have calm enough to do that. Does that make sense? That's what I'm asking about the pause button for. Yeah, it totally is. And, and as I've like coached you and, and worked with you, I think that it's in those situations where you do experience some of your grief because you're thinking the thought... I didn't sign up for this. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think it's totally, I think it's a totally valid question. And what I would say is start at the place where it's not a problem. 
It's not a problem that you're experiencing the grief. It's not a problem that your children are there at that time. And, and make an appointment with yourself to come back to that grief. And that doesn't mean that you're resisting it and pushing it away, but more from a place of willingness to experience it. I'm willing to experience it. I'm all in and I'm going to come back to it when I can. I think that's a very different feeling than I can't do this right now. And I'm, I'm and I have all these other things to deal with um, from that place where it's almost like a little bit of self pity, yeah. a little bit of, um, I think that just really, um, builds, it builds, it exacerbates the frustration, the negative emotion that you're already experiencing. Um, so I think just to drop yeah. into that place where you're like, I'm willing, I'm willing to have this grief. I'm willing to experience, I'm willing for this beach ball to just sit on the water with me and I'm going to carry it with me while I take care of my kids to the best of my abilities, um, do the best I can. And I'm going to come back and revisit it when I can. That brings me to a point. And that is the, the difference between therapists and life coaches is that life coaches are mean and <laughs> therapists are nice. Okay. And this is what I mean by that. So <laughs> therapists are all about validating your feelings and life coaches sometimes make you accountable that you are the cause of all of your own problems. <laughs> Super irritating sometimes, but also very true. Yeah. And also very liberating and really empowering because if you're causing the challenges you're experiencing, you can also make them better. You can leverage those same thoughts and emotions that have been driving you in ways that aren't useful to really propel you toward the life you want to live. And so, yeah, it's like we talked about the broken, the broken ankle at the beginning. Setting that broken ankle can be more painful than just taking medication. But when we really come to own our thoughts and recognize they're totally optional, and that they're the cause of all of our feelings, then we can start deciding what we want to create in our lives and what kinds of thoughts and emotions are going to empower us and drive us to get there. Always remembering that life is 50-50, that there's nothing wrong with the negative emotions, that in fact, they are so important. Um, they're such an important part of the human experience because we need that contrast. Um, I was thinking about, because we were talking about are about um, your children just then. And I was thinking that about like your children grieving and how your grief affects theirs a little bit, just because I was thinking that, that um, the whole idea that, that negative emotion is bad or there's something wrong with grief. If we're not willing to experience our grief, then the message we're sending our children is that, um, that they can't either. The emotions that you're experiencing, they really are there. And if we pretend, if you pretend that they're not there, like the message you're sending to your children is that grief is a problem and that they need to do the same. They need to push it down or they need to hide it or they need to pretend to be happy or, you know, they need to not process and experience those feelings. But I feel like when we're grieving openly, when you're willing to really share the grief that you're going through um, in, in healthy ways and, and even in any way that you, that is real for you at the time, it gives your per children permission um, to do the same thing. I don't know. Do you, have, do you have any thoughts about that? I just think that I yell a lot and that's bad. So that's all I have to say. Okay. Well, so maybe, maybe okay. we don't put that in there, but I was just thinking no, that. No, I want to put it in. It's real. <laughs> it's real. Yeah. Um, because I feel like some of that yelling, that yelling is in your action line and that yelling is being driven by certain emotions. 
Uh, I don't think the, mm -hmm. the yelling is being driven by like clean pain or by sadness. What is the yelling being driven by? Anger, frustration, a feeling of loss of control, of being in over my head. So what's that all about? Why do you feel angry? Because my kids are jerks. <laughs> They're pounding on the door right now. <laughs> Sometimes when I am bedtime for me, and I've talked about this before, it's like awful. And often I will think to myself, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to have to do this by myself. When was the last time that you that, that happened when you were in the middle of bedtime? Last night. <laughs> okay, so tell me, tell me the specific just the facts of last night when you're putting the kids to bed. My kids did not go to sleep, one of them, until 11.30. Okay. The other three did. So one of the children was awake until 11.30. Okay. Uh -huh. Is there anything else about that situation that was just very factual? I have four kids. Okay. Um, bedtime is usually at 8.00. Okay. My sister-in-law had started the bedtime process and I took over halfway through and they were not asleep when I took over. And what time did you take over? 9.30. And the one who didn't go to sleep till 11.30 ended up in my bed screaming and crying. Which kid was that? Number three. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> Our minds are binary. So we think it has to either be like the one end of the spectrum or the other end. Like we have to think a thought about grief that makes us feel like it's just okay. Like we have to think a thought about your husband dying that makes it all just fine. Like we feel happy about that. When really the truth is that it's not either end. It's not, um, it's not that we think thoughts that, that make us feel completely happy and blissful about a situation where our spouse has passed away. But we also aren't thinking... Um, we're also trying to get to the point where we're choosing thoughts that are the most useful thoughts for us in the situation, especially to take us where we want to go. And Anita and I have talked about this quite a bit um, in some of the coaching sessions that we've done together because she has some different thoughts, neither, none of which make her feel fantastic or amazing or, or positive emotion, but the different thoughts that she's thinking take her different places. And that's really the magic of the model is that we can put a thought into the model and see what the result of that thought is. And so Anita, do you mind if I share some of the thoughts that, that we've worked through and maybe some of the results that come from those thoughts? I don't know, Shauna, I'm a very private person. <laughs> yes, of course. Okay. So some of, some of the different grief thoughts that we've worked through together are one of the thoughts was I really miss Jason. And so when you think the thought, I really miss Jason, and we know that our thoughts create our feelings. And so when you think the thought, I really miss Jason, how do you feel? I feel sad. And I feel like I miss him. I feel lonely. I'm like, I've lost something. Yeah. And that sadness is like really clean, cathartic pain. That's very yeah. healthy pain. But it's intense. It's not pleasant yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's certainly not pleasant. In fact, like what, what does it feel like when you're, when you're missing Jason? It feels like somebody has scooped all of my insides out and I'm just a hollow insides. 
with nothing inside of me. And is there any movement to that feeling or is it just a hollow feeling? It just feels like a, a vacuum. It feels like there's nothing, there's nothing in there. And does it radiate outwards towards your, towards your limbs? It's heavy. It's just like, and it feels like a, like a black hole, kind of like everything is like getting sucked into the nothingness. Yeah. Okay. So when you're feeling that feeling that some of that clean pain, that sadness, when you think the thought, I miss Jason, what do you do? I can't talk to you right now. Go away. <laughs> I heard you. You want me to make you some chocolate milk and some popcorn, but I can't do that right now. Okay. In a few minutes. Okay. It makes me want to pull people closer to me, show them how much I love them, make them know that they're important to me. And I want to surround myself with the love of especially my kids and my other family members. Yeah. And so I'm feeling really it right now. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that you're coming from a thought. I miss Jason that, that makes you feel sadness. And yet that sadness brings you to a result that you really want, right? You really want to enjoy the people that you have. You really want to pull them closer. to You You really want to have that experience of really um, enjoying the people that you have with you, enjoying your children. Right. So right. I think, I think it's fascinating to see that, that this model with sad in the middle, this, this model with the sadness as the feeling creates a positive result for you. But on the contrary, another model that we've worked for you is um, one where the thought is, I didn't sign up for this. I right. hope that's the way that I share that. <laughs> I didn't sign yes. up. Yes. So I like, say that all the time. Yeah. So in those experiences that you're having where you say, I didn't sign up for this, um, how do you feel? How do you feel when you think that thought, I didn't sign up for this? Frustrated and angry and like I got ripped off and it's not fair. So let's just pick one of and those. My kids are jerks. <laughs> <laughs> They're not jerks. They're uh, I think that's a circumstance. Okay, go ahead. Well, and that's one thing about raising children. It's 50-50. It is 50-50, just like the rest of life. I think going into parenting, knowing that it's 50-50 is super helpful. But yeah. Okay, so let's just pick one of the emotions. Do you want to go with frustrated or do you want to go with angry? Let's go angry. Let's go angry. Okay. And I think angry is an emotion we go to. Um, sometimes because it feels a lot more powerful. It's like fast moving. It, it, it's an energetic feeling. And we go there yeah. when we don't want to be in a place like frustrated that feels a little bit more powerless. And so yeah. anger is an emotion we go to often when we're experiencing an emotion we don't want. So right. you're feeling angry because you're thinking the thought, I didn't sign up for this. And what do you do in those situations where you're feeling angry? Ooh, I, I lose my mind and I scream and yell and I say awful awful things to my kids what do you think your result is in that situation oh it's not I, every time I do that I feel badly after because it's not it's not how I want to be a parent yeah so maybe in those situations you're pushing away those that are closest to you you're pushing away the people that you you know that you otherwise really love and and, and want to embrace and pull closer to you so I just think it's fascinating to see that that negative emotion, just because, just because you're having a negative emotion doesn't mean you're necessarily going to have a negative result. There is some, there is some um, negative emotion that really is empowering. It really moves you in the direction you want to go. And there's certain thoughts that as you, as you look at the result through the model, that they're going to take you the direction you want to go. 
And it, and it doesn't necessarily just mean that we want to be happy all the time. So if I could take away all of the grief and the sadness over you losing Scott and you losing Jason, would you want me to take it away? Would you let me take it away? I would let you bring them back from the dead, but I wouldn't want you to take away my emotions. You can take away my emotions. <laughs> you would be okay with that? You would be okay with not experiencing any more sadness? I love not feeling feelings. <laughs> you love not feeling them? <laughs> That's actually something that I have to actively work on is that. Oh, those Melanie, things. But you need to talk more, it sounds like. <laughs> I know. But I will give the answer that I should give, and the answer would be no, because without the terrible things, I could not have the good things. Yeah. Is that what I should say? (laughs) Well, the truth is that it, it, it feels a little bit good to miss them. Doesn't it feel a little bit good? For me, and, and, you know, Jason wasn't my spouse, but it feels good to me to miss him because it almost just validates what an amazing person he was. And, and the impact he had on my life. And so I kind of want to miss him. I kind of want to carry that with me. I agree with that. Um, because even though it's painful to miss them, on the flip side, if you had no feelings or didn't miss them, then it would probably mean that they were a terrible person or that you didn't have great memories, you know, or things like that. So I would rather have had a really happy marriage and a really, you know, really awesome time while he was alive to be able to miss him so much afterwards, if that makes sense. And if you didn't feel sadness when he was gone, then maybe it would have been a sign that you were in a in an abusive marriage or in a terrible situation. Yeah. So even logically, it makes sense. Or yeah. a sociopath. Good, Mel. Yeah, I'm a sociopath, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> oh, I want to talk about that. But before we talk about that really fast, I just want to say that um, – that there would be no grief in life if there weren't true and deep love. And I think about like, for those of you that are Christian, I think about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. And why are they blessed? Why are they blessed? And I think it's because mourning doesn't happen. This deep grief, it doesn't happen unless you've loved somebody fully and and deeply. And I also love that that passage is in the New Testament because I think it gives us permission to experience grief and mourning. It gives us permission to have those negative emotional experiences. It even calls them blessed. So I think that's something to think about. And then you were saying you were saying you were a sociopath. And I think we should speak to that really fast too. First of all, you know the color code by Taylor Hartman personality book? Do you know that book? Yes, I do. I yes, I do. So, you know how there, there are four personality colors, like the core colors, red, blue, white, yeah, yellow. They're all motivated by different things. Yes. My main color is white, which is motivated by peace and like not having the waves go up and down, like yeah. steady, steady, So, which is, I think, a reason why I have such a hard time with like emotion. And I've always been really even keel my whole life, like never had to process stuff out loud or like tell people my feelings. I just didn't act that way. Um, And so this whole grief thing has been super hard for me to even acknowledge that I have emotions. So sometimes Anita and I joke that we're sociopaths because sometimes we have no feelings, but then sometimes we have all the feelings. And now that I'm out of like the early grief period and I'm about two and a half years in, those, those waves have, have um, mellowed out a bit and I have way less like deep down dives into the sad stuff but I've noticed that I am also scared to feel happy because I 
I'm like, oh no, but I know it's going to go down again. And so I try to just stay as even as possible. In addition to that's how I've operated my whole life. Yeah. Is by trying to keep things stable. And so even just coming to terms with the fact of like having emotions are hard for me. So that's why I call myself a sociopath sometimes. (laughs) Well, and I think it, I think it's, um, I think it's a real experience that a lot of people that are, um, that have experienced trauma or loss go through is they wonder if, if what they're feeling is wrong. Like if they're not sad, then something's wrong with them. Or that means that they didn't love the person enough or that, you know, that, that, that relationship wasn't strong enough. So it's almost like you can't win. You're setting yourself up to fail because if you aren't feeling grief, there's something wrong. And if you are feeling grief, then you're experiencing this negative emotion, which in so many, you know, subconscious ways, we've decided that's wrong. Like that's bad. We don't want to go there, which where there's negative emotion. And so I think when we're in that situation, we set ourselves up to fail. Like, of course it's okay if you're not experiencing deep grief right now. And of course it's okay if you are. There's oscillations. That's part of the normal process of grieving. It's part of the normal experience. And I think to add that extra layer of judgment, like there's something wrong with me, I think that adds suffering and it's needless suffering. It doesn't need to be added. So if you can swim with the wave instead of against the wave, it'll be less effort and it will be easier and you'll get through it a little quicker. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And I think, I think that's really a beautiful visual is to swim with the wave, to be willing to be all in on the emotion. And after we've done that for a while, we get to the point where we know what emotions are powerful and useful and empowering. And we start to work on thoughts to create those on purpose so that we can move our life in the direction that we want it to go. Again, we're not trying to eliminate negative emotion. We're not trying to just live on the 50% happy, but we're starting to become much more deliberate about what we're thinking and, and how we're feeling so that we can move in the direction we want to go. That makes sense. I think that's really great. I love it. Yeah. What do people do if they want to find a life coach for themselves? How do people about doing that? Is there like a website for life, like certified life coaches or how? What's the deal? Like if you're, if you're interested in life coaching, particularly the kind of life coaching that I've been trained in, um, there are, there's a list on the life coach school website and I'll, you guys can link to it in the, in the show notes, um, of different life coaches and their different niches that the people that they work with. Um, I would also really recommend listening to Brooke Castillo's podcast, the life coach school podcast. Um, again, I've talked about Krista St. Germain. She talks specifically about widowed mothers and she has an amazing group coaching program that that would be um, a great place to start. She also has a podcast. And if if anybody's interested in working directly with me, like I said, I, I focus mostly on um, working with moms, um, but certainly grieving moms, but you can get my information and maybe they can link that below in the show notes as well. Email us at widowwedonow at gmail.com. Well, thanks Shauna for not revealing all of my deep, darkest secrets, just the like sort of deep, dark secrets. And we hope you guys have found this podcast helpful to you, thinking about some things maybe in different ways. Remember to look up the Widow Wives Club. And just as a reminder, the Widow Wives Club is only for widows. We know a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are not widows. And so I'm sorry that you can't be part of the Widow Wives Club, but we're just keeping that as a safe space for people who really need to be able to talk without any judgment or without any. 
have it be a safe place where people can speak freely and get advice from each other. So just make sure that you fill out the questionnaire that's on there. Cause if you don't fill out the questions, we're not going to let you in. And also what else am I forgetting Mel? But if you are not a widow or a widower, we do have a normal Facebook page where we engage with everybody. So feel free to follow us. So follow both and um, make sure you rate and review us and subscribe and tell all your friends and your family and your mom and your dog. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. I'm Sean. And we're just two widows and her sister, the life coach, trying to figure out widow widow we do now now. this is my favorite thing to discuss with you tell me what is it one of my favorite things i do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs this is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan especially when you're a widow your person is dead you might have kids You might need another option and you just want your phone to work. You want unlimited texting and service and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. and You still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.